welcome back to the Midweek Debrief Season 2. I'm Jasper and I ride a black Triumph Scrambler 900. Here's how it sounds. I'm Jed and I ride a straight pipe Triumph Bonneville. Here's how it sounds. Join us each week as we catch up, discuss the latest headlines in the biking world, tackle a topic and answer your questions. We also have some exciting guest interviews lined up for this season, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Motone Customs. If you're like us and you're always looking for the next custom part for your bike, Motone has loads on offer, from headlight to taillight and everything in between. With daily worldwide dispatch, Motone are here to cater for all your custom needs. Check out what's on offer at www.motone.co.uk. We are so excited to be welcoming on our final guest of season two, Robert Nightingale, co-founder of Mallet London. As well as creating the most refined and contemporary British adventure accessories, they are hosts of some of our favourite events in the calendar. With the Mallet Beach Race happening next month, we thought there was no better time to hear the story behind Mallet. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Midweek Debrief. This is our season finale. We are so excited to bring on Robert from Mallet. How are you, Robert? Good morning. Very good. Nice. The sun's coming out. Spring is finally it's finally springing in, in, yeah. in London, or at least the south part of England. It's exciting. I had such a great ride over this morning in the sun, and just to see the people out, enjoying the weather. It's finally turning. It and is. The clock's changing as well. We're having the longer days. It's really good. If you listen quietly, you can just hear those engines on the horizon. Yeah, like... yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, it's so, so good. Yeah, it's honestly such a pleasure to have you on. Malay is, I guess, a company which is close to our hearts and Absolutely. probably many of our audience as well. It's like your events, we look forward to them so much each year. The Malay Beach Race, the Malay Mar, I mean, those are the ones that we've been to. Absolutely. Yeah. And so this time of the year, it's like they're around the corner. And so that's, I think it's such a good time to have you on. So thank you. No, pleasure. Before anything, we'd love to hear about how you got into bikes and, and where the inspiration came from. Sure. So I think my, f- I was very lucky to grow up on a little farm about just an hour away from here. But yeah, motor- that wasn't, motorcycles wasn't really my fault. Like dad rode motorcycles, yeah. my uncle rode motorcycles, Johnny's dad, my other uncle, because Johnny, my, the other founder of Malay is my cousin. Yeah. There's a small family business. And when like all the family come over for family parties, the top topics would always go to motorcycles. And like when you're four or five years old, you just hear these stories of Norton commandos and triumphs and, and it just, yeah, you did that. Just exci- you, with you, it. you can just hear that excitement from a very early age. So motorcycles wasn't really our fault. And, and then I remember like age 10, my dad came home from like one of the farm shows with, and he had this, a box and inside was a crash helmet and he like passed it to me and I got so excited. I ran outside and he's like, no, no, I just bought you a crash helmet because like, <laughs> it was like a five pound at the farm sale. That was so cool. <laughs> and then it was another few years before I managed to save up, save up money from working on the farm over the summers. And then, um, then like going through like the, the old Friday, had, newspaper and you're, you're looking for the word um field bike yeah. these are bikes that couldn't, couldn't pass the mot and i think yeah i bought it for i think it was 90 pounds or 100 pounds for um, a, a 1980 something suzuki gp 100 and it was pretty i mean it was a complete dog yeah. but <laughs> sanded it all down painted everything lamborghini yellow put some electrical tape down the tank and I managed to get by some old motocross tires and turned it into a quote-unquote race bike I think Johnny probably got word and was around the house about 10 minutes later. And then it is quite, you know, I was quite a small, I'm still quite small, but I was quite a small kid. And it was quite daunting. This thing was really quite big. I usually had to either try and find a hay bale or a, st- or a style on one side of the farm to be able to actually get on or off the bike. So once you're on, you're fine. But yeah. trying to get off it, it was like, kind of, you, you sort of perfected the two footed leap as you came in to slow down, jump yeah. off. and. And the reason my nose isn't straight is because that was a barbed wire fence at about age 12. We're trying to, we built a big pile of logs, like, you know, inspired by the Steve McQueen Great Escape. Oh, yeah. And just didn't give it quite enough. And then, uh, you know, a high attention barbed wire fence stops a bike pretty quickly with the bottom pegs and it just somersaulted straight over and broke my nose the first time. That was a good lesson. And (laughs) and then, yeah, so, th- so we, uh, I was very lucky to get into, into motorcycles and I have space to go and play on motorcycles yeah. out in the middle of nowhere where you're not bothering anybody and riding through the forests. And you know, then I then you left, left home and then into school and 
and then I wasn't really playing on bikes much into the yeah. university. And then I, I didn't get on particularly well with my first year of university. And I decided I need to go off into, into the Himalaya for a, a yeah, year or so. And, and, and ended up buying a, met, met a, a very dear friend is this quite rude as radio chap go onto the bus he's like hold my oranges and then we became best friends over the next few weeks and then after a couple of gin and tonics we bought an old 1973 royal enfield 350 nice. and then we rode across india for another seven months down through nepal then across india for seven months together we just put to go for a two or three week ride and then we just like we just go a bit going. further then end up right on the other side of the great tar desert and it's just thoughts Rajasthan. Two up on this bike. Yeah, and we would just take it in turn. We didn't have much money, so we were just yeah, it was a bit dumb and dumber. <laughs> That's insane. But just yeah, we we ride a bit. When he get tired, we ride a bit, and I never almost died so many times. It was pretty pretty wild. You know, especially you know if you ride in India, there's so many wonderful and really beautiful parts. And then occasionally you'll come off a really nice, come across a really nice road. We're pootling down and then suddenly realize that motorway hasn't been finished and you've ridden 60 miles in one direction it just there's just no way to continue so you go all the way back and but yeah then we're down to the places you just we're just you know sleeping in the little sort of the tea tea stands and they usually have them little camp beds outside and you just crash there and asleep and that's like a proper adventure and it really it's, it's one of the most it's one of the most cost effective ways of crossing a landscape on a motorcycle yeah it's the cheap especially with two of you on a bike with a tiny little engine yeah, it costs you absolutely nothing it's costing it's free to camp everywhere and and what do you do with the luggage yeah this is very well before Mali. but and two up on the bike yeah we just i think we just found some old leather suitcases stuffed everything in probably a yeah we had a backpack or two I remember all the photographs I insisted on carrying. I think we both had umbrellas. It did look a bit ridiculous having umbrellas. Like, it would absolutely pour down. And when you're on the bike, you just sort of settle in and sort of hunch yeah. your shoulders and try not to get too much water going down the chest. But um, I always remember seeing photographs of like, yeah, there's always two umbrellas stuck on the, on the end of the motorcycle. But at that point, it was just anything that we could find and just and bungeed it on or ratchet straps. And Does riding a Royal Enfield in India feel like the bike to ride? Oh, 100%. Because yeah. you've got parts in every tea shop. Yeah. Yeah, it is 90%. Or then it was 90% of every motorcycle you'd see would be the Royal Enfield. And it was, it's, and it still is the most regal and yeah, fun yeah. bike out there. So cool. And so how long did this trip go on for? Because it was planned mm, we three rode weeks. For, and... Yeah, we rode for, I think it was just over six months. Wow. In total. We stopped, you know, we spent like, uh, you know, a year, I think we were on the, in Varanasi on the Ganges for like a month and a half, just chilling and doing what you do. <laughs> and then we carried on and wow. yeah and then I managed to get then on the last day when I got a, I got a message through from my university saying they wanted to send me to a, another design school in Sweden where Ellie and I decided to do like one last big ride up to see this old Rajasthani palace and park the bike outside and because you, when you go into the the sort of the church part of it, you can't take any leather in. So I took up my motorcycle boots, came out, someone had pinched them. No. And the only thing that was left in this little in the little village, because it's quite like eight PM, there was one guy selling gold Rajasthani slippers that got with the gold yeah. and then with a bell on it. Yeah. Like, so then my, my departure out of India was like the last he, Ellie dropped me off at the at the um the airport in a pair of gold Rajasthani slippers, went straight to Sweden in January. It's like minus twenty and started design school there. And, um, and what did you do with the bike? So then Ellie carried on back down to yeah, right. uh, he was going south, and then he sold it, and then sent me fifty percent of the funds about a few months later. That's, that's almost the sort of bike you want to ship back home and put on a plinth <laughs> yeah, in your cool. living room. And then then I was bikeless for you know, also university of skin. So then I was like six years at university in Sweden studying industrial design. A lot, some of it was on on the automotive side, yeah. I'm designing cars and motorcycles and bicycles and transportation and trains and bits of planes and then I went to a, got a two-week design job in New York cool. which lasted 10 years <laughs> um but with my I think it was my third second paycheck paid the rent and then the third paycheck I bought another Royal Enfield yeah and then bought a 1969 whatever 500 oh wow oh, bullet and then did a lot of customizations on it made it it looked like it looks I always dubbed the Bruff Superior it looked like the SS100 it was just it was very mm. very classic and you park it outside little bars in Soho and everyone would leave not everyone but people would leave notes on it saying oh, I want this because I, th I think it was the only one of its kind in Manhattan and no one knew that it actually cost about three three grand yeah they thought it cost ten times that but it's, yeah it's, that was my fun and it was super loud yeah I bet no it has to be and what was it like riding around New York uh, terrifying yeah six mm -hmm. lanes of trip but the only good thing is that the bit on the big all those main roads they're all one way yeah 
But then anybody who even puts their hand up or even like checks the time, a taxi will just see it as a possible fare and just swing across six lanes of traffic, taking oh, out right. anybody. And quite often you'd almost end up on the top of a taxi as it just breaks, stands on the front of you. Hazard. Those yeah, but um, but that bike, yeah. I mean, I think we pushed it home more times than I rode it home at the beginning, and that was why I just started dating my girlfriend at the time, but wife now. Yeah, and that was when that was true love. When I was seeing her in like pair of high heels pushing this poor bike down the side <laughs> of the thing, looking for a tree to lock it up to, so we could jump on the on the on the uh, subway and head home. But it was a wonderful bike, and yeah, had that for five or six years there. And did you ever crash it? No, no, <laughs> yeah, 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 no, that's I no, I did. no, we never stuck on the beach quite a few times in the sand, things like yeah. that, but no. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so six years in New York and then got rid of the bike and then moved back to London. Yeah, then, yeah. And then Johnny and I, that was about the time, Johnny's background, we're all both designers. Mm. His background's more on the digital design, but he also did, was working a lot in automotive stuff um, in, on the engineering side. And I come from an industrial design, like product design, making physical objects yeah. background. So we started collaborating together on designing for other people and he had an old 69 bsa oh, wow. in london yeah. really nice really nice bike at the time yeah we wanted a piece of luggage we got we got chatting about we started planning trips together we wanted to go trips in the us and trips in in europe and uk and down to the alps and we wanted a piece of, we wanted a piece of luggage that suited that type of motorcycle that was slightly customized uh, but something that we made our own and something that was cool enough to fit the bike yeah and at the time, there wasn't anything. You know, now there's quite there's a few people that have been inspired by what, I think what we did. But at the time, it was either very leather and tasselly, or it was very plastic, hard luggage, pla- yeah. or pl- hard luggage, like aluminium, or it was plastic, like dayglow yellow and yeah. and reflective stuff. And you don't really want to put that on the on a type of no, motorcycle that you've, you've spent you know three three years just thinking about and changing every single detail to exactly how you wanted it to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then. We're like right well let's make something so we i said right this is properly we're gonna do this we're gonna do our research so we started going around sort of flea markets in new york and in london portobello road looking for bags that have lasted for a long time so we're looking at old like louis vuittons and yeah. old um tool chests and tool bags and things with really thick heavy duty canvases work things that have worked and obviously have lasted 50 years we're Brilliant, like yeah. if we're making a design part of our sustainability things that we build things that are going to last for a very very long time we think if you've got one bag that's going to last you 30 years that's a that's a very sustainable yeah. way of approaching design and and so that gave a lot of information about the types of materials we wanted to use at the beginning it was like really big thick you know three or four mil thick leathers 18 ounce canvases all from our mills and we're still all from our mills in scotland now that's really good and we bought an old industrial sewing machine taught ourselves to sew and then we taught ourselves to pattern make and and it was quite you know the luggage industry where we're coming from in like quite hardcore industrial design where we're doing like 3D printing, everything's like very futuristic, everything's 3D modeled. And yeah. and then when you were going into the luggage side, actually it's quite, it's like um, tailoring. You're going to pattern making, it's all with like chalk and paper. It's quite traditional. Very different, yeah. And so we started to taught ourselves to like pattern make and and through some of our friends that work more on the, the clothing side of things, gave us some really good advice about how to approach fabrics and machines. And we went through i think two or three sewing machines destroying them trying to get through this leather then we ended up finding some people that could help us make those first pieces and we made the first pannier malay so because johnny my the cousin other founder of malay is born in france and i was born in england and so we wanted a french english connection to the company Uh, because i found anything so malay so en francais means trunk so those are wooden chests that you'd see on the side of trains or cars in the 19th century. Somewhere you put your tools in. Oh, that's yeah. what you call a malle, like a, 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 a yeah. traveling, like a trunk or a chest. So that's the origin. So that's what it means, yeah. But we sort of bastardized pronunciation slightly from, en français, mal, to malle. Oh, and, yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, so that's where the, the term came from. And so from that first piece of luggage, we then clubbed together our meager funds and we'd, we had a design that we loved and we made... 50 pieces and the first one we sent off to iron air magazine our favorite like custom motorcycle magazine at the time and i think we called them like every three weeks <laughs> until they put it in the magazine <laughs> and they put and that was our first ever review and to be to be in the motorcycle press for the first time we were like oh we made it this is it we can retire now yeah. and <laughs> we saw you know that was the first time we sold a few and that was 2014 
So we, we'd had, you know, there'd been a couple of years of prototyping and making and learning yeah. sort of the craft of how to make a piece of luggage. And but it was actually 2014 where we first like had something that we we now yeah that, um, that was that you could that a customer could buy for the first yeah, time. Yeah. And and then we got a couple of phone calls, one from a big boutique in New York and one from a boutique in, in Japan. They said, oh, we saw this piece in the press and we love it. We want to see the collection. <laughs> right, the collection. The collection. <laughs> okay. So we got quickly started thinking about, well, okay, what else do we want? We want a nice duffel to go on the top. We want a piece of luggage on the tank bag and and um, and a backpack. But we couldn't uh, decide whether we wanted a backpack or a, like a messenger bag. Yeah. And there's quite an argument because I've always preferred something on the shoulder, Johnny prefers something on two shoulders, and then it became a hybrid piece. So we made the first ever backpack that converts to a messenger bag, which had never been done before at the time. So we had the hybrid piece, which was quite fun. I love that. That was that became our best selling piece that came out of an argument about <laughs> I couldn't quite decide which one, and it became this hybrid piece. And and then for the first year of Malay, you know, we were still designing for other people. When you've got a startup, you know, you just can't jump ship. You've still got to pay the rent and and the first couple of years and it was, I think it was by year three that we finally made the jump that we were just about in because we're also we took the, the, the first 50 pieces sold them and then took the money from that and then made 100 pieces Next, yeah. and then from that we could make and just very incrementally very very slowly just be able to increase production each time and make a few more and make a few more and it took a few years before we could jump ship to from just working purely for Malay I think it was like yeah. three or three years in and at this point did you ever envisage the company becoming what it is now? No, with, the, with events, etc. We we had planned. To, our goal there was we wanted to make uh, adventure accessories to enable people to cross landscapes because we thought by traveling in it creates inspiration and the more you travel the world the more you love the world and we thought that's quite a good good thing to stand by. And on the I think it was two thousand and fifteen, we now had some some of our friends that were like, this piece is great for the city, but I want to cross yeah. a desert or something, or like, you know, or spend yeah, time up in, in Scotland. And I think it's going to be, could be quite wet as Scotland quite often is. So we're like, okay, let's design the expo, what became known as the expedition collection. And we wanted, also we found ourselves working in the workshop all the time and designing stuff and not actually spending a lot of time on motorcycles. So we plotted a, a trip from New York to Los Angeles via Mexico and Canada to ride 37, it took 37 days in the end, it was 10,000 miles that we rode um, just the two of us on two Triumph Bonnevilles. Oh, wow. With a set, I think it was seven pieces of luggage and our first time making outerwear, jackets, scarves, trousers. So we had about 17 pieces in, in sort of this loose collection. Okay, so it was like test as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. We just, we, uh, it, not only test, we wanted to destroy them. Yeah. The idea was to go out and try and push them into like really cold, wet climates up in Canada and, and Detroit, and then go into really hot places like the Bonneville Salt Flats, Death Valley, where it was like 40 degrees plus. And when we we're on the, the Salt Flats in, in Bonneville, it's pretty... Yeah, a wild place. We'd ridden six and a half thousand miles to get there and we timed it just arrived for Speed Week. Oh, cool. And they did all the land speed records. It had been so wet that year that they'd cancelled the entire thing. Oh, and we're like, well, we've ridden six and a half thousand miles to get there. We're not, not going to race. Oh, and Johnny race, and I, yeah. and being cousins, there's a little bit of competition, <laughs> of course. So we like dropped the luggage off, put the bikes on, and then we decided to take as much as we could off the bike to like lighten it because we wanted to try and break 100 miles an hour. On the road into Bonneville, doing 100 miles an hour, very easy. Yeah. Salt Flats is surprisingly not that flat. It, the sand is it's undulating and it's sharp, and then you suddenly you get these quite um, like little divots. And things yeah, like you know, it's 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 like when salt yeah. dries in the in the heat, and you know, then an hour later you find yourself sort of gripped. And that was it. We because I don't know, we were kids. We decided to take everything we could off the bike to lighten them. We'd decided to put our feet on the rear pegs. Yeah, classic. And then just click up into fifth gear with the with the hand. And then putting ourselves in race position, yeah. and then just trying to go as fast as we can side by side, and it's quite fun. It's the occasional nod to each other. Oh, it's just like fifth gear, just yeah, pin. and then just just pin and just see how you go, and it build up, and then we had a little GoPro in the front, and then nearing ninety something, we hit. This is why they didn't do speed week. We hit one of those really big wet areas, and then the bike just starts fishtailing completely out of control. You've got the, the whole front wheel just like going from side to side. And the bike is wobbling over, and because we got our feet, we can't use the back, we can't use the front brakes because it will just slip yeah. out. 
we had our feet on the back pegs in that race position so you couldn't use a back brake and all you could do is just put your chest up in the air just let the wind resistance and so you had a lot of time to think what's going to happen if we roll off into that and then you suddenly realize that you're in the middle of a salt lake 50 miles from anywhere well 200 miles from anywhere 50 miles from the nearest road in a completely white out environment and no one knows you're there and are you, we- are you wearing white Mali jumpsuits? Johnny had a white jumpsuit yeah. on as well. <laughs> that doesn't help. And then, so we're like, okay, we came off and then you would look back and there's this like, this line in the sand. And we're like, okay, let's, let's team meeting. Right. If we fall off, what happens? We're like, well, I got some ratchet straps. If one of us falls off, we ratchet to the other guy to the back and go to the store. And then we did it again and broke hundred miles an hour. So, yeah, <laughs> and, then we, and then we carried on when we got to Portland about a month. No, sorry. Two weeks later, we had a service at, at the Triumph Garage there. And the guy came out with this little Ziploc bag with like components and about three inches of salt. He said, that was in your back brake. And so Johnny's back brake had got so much salt into it that it actually locked on. And he pretty much had like 70% back brake on for the next thousand miles up to Portland from there. But, um, but then, yeah, so then when we came back from, from that, so actually after the excitement of that evening, we're like, motorcycle racing is really, really fun. And Johnny and I, you know, Johnny's dad especially was really passionate about motor racing and used to go to your brand hatch every weekend and, and the racing is, and one of my dear friends, he's a, he was a going to Grand Prix racing and it's, you know, it's highly competitive. It's, it's serious, you know, they're out there to, to, to win and people get hurt and, and quite often it's in quite odd places and the food's a bit rubbish and. I'm like, they're there to do that. And we thought, but motorcycle racing, why do we get into motorcycles? Actually, you're going back to when we were kids and just the fun of being on a motorcycle in the, in the countryside and riding through fields, that was really, really fun. And we came up with this idea about how about, why did, how about if we hosted a motorcycle race that nobody wins was the idea. We're like, how about it's like a fight club that you turn up, you have to race. Oh, so so we came up with the idea for the Malay Mile after after playing around on the salt flats. We're like, okay, let's start a motorcycle race that nobody can win. It's all about losing together. And that's where we came up with the idea of the Malay Mile. And we had a friend of ours in South London who had um, a beautiful sort of like wedding venue, like a it's of a seventeenth century manor house. And we managed to convince him to let us host this drag race on the on on the grounds. We decided we printed some little posters on, on the floor, like screen printing, um, called the Malay Mile. We hadn't actually measured the grounds at that point. It was like, <laughs> it wasn't a mile you could get, but we liked the duration of the Malay Mile. And it was an eighth of a mile grass track, 1950s rules, two at a time, head to head. And the first time we had 37 bikes on the lawn and someone turned up, you know, and no one, we just invited anyone we knew with, with bikes that were friends. So some people would turn up, like one guy turned up on a monkey bike. And it was ridiculous. Someone turned up on um, a Vincent Black Shadow, a really expensive piece yeah. of machinery. And other than lots of custom bikes as well. And and then I remember a monkey bike and a Vincent Black Shadow racing on grass side by side. But the moment the flag dropped, no one cared. They, they took it quite seriously, but you realize how ridiculous it was. One's worth 50 pounds, one's worth 50 grand. But at that moment of the race, no one cares. It's all about just the, thrill, about the, race. About that yeah. and the thrill. And wow. And then so from 37 bikes, the first year we built a little beer tent like that was really fun and finally he got us out of the workshop and playing with motorcycles and meet and like john and i were pretty sociable people it turns out we're quite good at throwing a party <laughs> yeah. we like, you know we like we like yeah we like people and and we like making people happy and then that first year we're like that was really fun and then so the next year we had about 100 motorcycles join us and then we put they brought a dj in and built a slightly bigger beer tent and and we decided there's a little it's a hill on the back of the ground, so we did a hill. What's called a hill climb slalom. Okay, and so the the, the the sprint or the drag race was the first. Yeah, that was the first. That was the first. And the next year, and then we also threw in loads of other. There was um, yeah, the yeah, the first year we used to duct tape martini glasses to all of the tanks, and you we we put uh fill them up with a martini and an olive, and yeah, it was called the 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 um the dry martini run or something and you had to try and get to the finish line without dropping anything out of the glass uh, it wasn't yeah. actually martini i think it was just water yeah. and olive but it would probably be slow races so you did like 37 bikes in a line trying to go as slow as possible not to drop so a lot of it was trying to create ridiculous things yeah. um wow and and then from the mile second year was about 100 bikes and then how did you how did you market it for the first year how did you get the word out yeah we we've never 
because obviously we had this idea to create the race. Yeah, we didn't we didn't really have marketing budgets, yeah. so w we just knew that if we created the wildest race we possibly could, people would probably would want to come, and and it has for the first yeah it's always been word of mouth. Yeah, and, and that the was the message. Was, it was just like it's a it's a crazy event. Come along, it's fun. Um, yeah, we class it as the most inappropriate motorcycle race in the country. And which you still do, yeah. We like yeah, the in a motorcycle race, but every year we just try and think about new ways to create new motorcycle happenings and new. And just one of our core goals is to get as many people on a motorcycle as possible, show them how completely really, really fun it is. You know, when the mile started, I've dragged my poor wife to ice racing and desert racing, and she loved it for the first 20 minutes, and she's thoroughly bored for the next three days. And so we thought, how about if we build it somewhere really beautiful that where there's other things happening as well, yeah. culturally. And so a big part of the mile is about creating new culture within the motorcycle space. So we've like, that's why there's the art show and there's the photography exhibitions and then there'll be film screenings and there'll be talks from adventurers and explorers and racers and builders and riders. Um, it's thinking about whatever, what else surrounds that subculture of the motorcycle that we want to champion and elevate and celebrate, uh, uh, really. Yeah. And so that, so... Yeah, that's become more and more of a draw. But a lot of people that have never ridden, don't ride bikes or don't have a license, but they love learning about and being part of that that scene and the culture. Um, that's one of the, the biggest parts. The biggest reason we keep doing, you know, last year we had over a thousand motorcycles and I think just under four thousand guests. So it's 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 no yeah. control. And it was, yeah, when we set out to start Mali and make a piece of luggage to enable an adventure, that was never part of the the plan, the, the plan or the thinking. But when you're in a small sort of small company you can you can be very reactive you can start to pivot quickly and and what a question that came up to us if like three or four years into malay was how does the world become a better place if your company succeeds and we've thought more and more about what malay's role is within with, with motorcycles and the the more people we bring together you realize that you see them sitting on hay bales at the end of a day's racing and they come from completely different walks of life and you've got some people that come from banking you come some people that come from engineering you've got 21 year old riders you've got people who think they're 21 but they're actually like 75. <laughs> our youngest rider has been was three years old at the mile we've had one of our oldest riders was 93. Wow. so to have you know three generations of riders side by side all coming together and, coming together. and from thing. now also, also we're getting riders coming in from america we're coming in from europe and the reason we open on the, th the thursday evening is so riders who ride in from europe can come somewhere from the stay thursday night yeah oh, that's and cool. yeah and that's why we, we keep doing it it's it's become an absolute honor to to sort of to host that and to, to help curate, you know, curate it and and a lot of the guests there have been there for for nine years this is our ninth year now wow. they've been there every year and they plan their summers around it and yeah. and so it's it's our duty really to create to host that thing for them um that's so lovely first few years you were at kevington hall yes and then what made the switch to go up north suddenly it was it was just it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. and um and we just never wanted to turn anybody away we wanted to people get excited about it and they, they wanted to invite their friends you want to make sure there was space and and even though you know London is a great place, traveling into London on a Friday evening is Chaos, not the most not, ideal, not, yeah. not the not the best place if you're coming from Scotland or from from Cornwall or from around the country. So we thought, okay, well, it came through a connection with one of our stage managers who'd heard of this illegal rave up at a beautiful castle in the middle of the country, and so we we got an introduction to Grimstop Castle that way, and it's owned by. Um, Lady Willoughby, who's um, she was the Queen's Queen's maid of honor at her wedding. Oh, wow. um, she's a massive collector of modern art, and there's pictures of her and like, Andy Warhol, and and she's always been into subcultures. Mm. And they used to host a lot of things. They still host some things at the castle, which are about yeah subcultures, strange and. Um, it's not it's not the big fancy car shows or anything. It's always the quite the quirky and the weird and the wonderful. Mm. And so when we explained the idea of it, we wanted to find a new home for the Malay Mile, this motorcycle race that's all about losing together, bringing a community and, and creating new culture within the motorcycle space. They're like, this sounds great. No way. And then after the first, and we were quite nervous the first year because it is we went from sixty acres to six thousand acres. It's a it's a, a big vast vast property. Yeah, but it's such a stunning property. It as is well. really beautiful. Yeah. Like you, 
you arrive and you see that lake and the grounds in like in the bowl and it's just like perfect yeah. for the Malimar. When I first saw the lake down into the valley there, I could just, it was almost like in an old Western film. When I first yeah. saw it coming over the horizon and you could just see, imagine horses and stuff running, driving, running through the middle and like imagine that for motorcycles. It'd yeah. be really, and a lot of it is about, yeah, building experiences that, um, yeah, building beautiful experiences that are in beautiful places, beautiful backdrops, and and it's part of that sort of the ele elevating and the celebration of that of that culture. So my first Malemal was the first year at Grimsthorpe, mm. and I thought it wasn't going to go ahead because of COVID. That was second year. Was that second year? Yeah, yeah. I think it was because there was one of the years where it was. It felt like it was kind of on the brink because yeah. we were mm. in and out of lockdown. Mm. It was like can Malay happen? Yeah, and, and you're right. Nearly every other festival, I think every other festival pretty much in the country couldn't happen. Closed down, yeah. Closed down and they, and, but Johnny like, well, we'd love to be able to keep the flag flying if we can. And because we're a very small company, it's not, also we've got, we're not, we don't have these huge, we're not financially driven. There's not a big marketing budget or a big, um, big targets. Yeah. We, we just held our nerve and we're like, okay, well, let's just, just let's wait it out and, We'll see, and and then finally they announced the lockdowns on either side, where the timing was perfect that we were. It, the, it was open, and it was the two or two weekends after the, the, the lockdown finished, and but we 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 managed to host the mile the year before, and we hosted the first socially distanced motorcycle festival, and we had the head of the head of NHS and Metropolitan Police came down to inspect and make sure it was all done by the book because originally. Yeah, that that year we all thought there's no way we could host any anything at all. So how did you get around the social distancing? We we had a, we had loads of meetings with the council, and we went through one by one what are the things that they'd be worried about, um, and we realised that actually, you know, to ride a motorcycle is one of the things you could do. Yeah. So because so, yeah. you're, you're you're solo, you're pretty much wearing PPE and you have got masks on, yeah. and yeah. that actually we realised that the racing part we could do. So it was a matter of creating a, a much smaller event where the racing could happen, where we, it was socially distanced exhibitions, like one-way systems, everything was outside. You mm. know, all the marquees had open spaces. Just, it was just a roof. So you had airflow, um, contact tracing, all, all the stuff. So we just went through with the council one by one, all of the key things that we needed to do. So and cool. we, as designers, we just created a way that that could, that could happen. That's so cool. And it gave a bit of, it was, we had a lot of thank you letters afterwards. It gave normalcy to many people who'd been completely isolated, probably in their workshop building something or yeah. playing with bikes and suddenly to actually come to something. Yes, it was different. Yes, we were socially distanced, but we were still together, which is a, yeah. which is a really, really important Huge thing. Huge step and, in the right direction. Yeah. And especially, you know, we, we, you know, men aren't always that great at sharing emotions and talking about stuff. So even just put it, putting them in, in one space with a motorcycle in between them, that's it's, enough to yeah. get them talking and getting them out. And so, yeah, so we've managed to host the mile uninterrupted for the last nine years. Wow, that's um, so cool. And do you think Grimsthorpe will be, I mean, it's obviously the new home of the, the Malley Mile. Do you think it will stay there? I hope so. I'd, I'd love it if it was there for the next two decades. And when we finished the, yeah, the mile, Two year, the first year we ever hosted it there, we we had a debrief meeting on the Sunday evening or the Monday morning, I think actually, with the, the head of their forestry and the head of the, the agricultural side, and and I was chatting away, and I was like, you know, these things we want to improve next year. We want to have there's a few just simple things that we can make it to a much better experience for for all of our guests, and and I could just sense that they just wanted me just to kind of shut up, and then they're like, anyway, got his phone eBay, what do you get that motorcycle? And then suddenly, no like way. half of their team, they all bought motorcycles. And then we yeah, we, we create them create some some race jerseys the GM the GMC the the uh, GCMC the, the yeah, Grimsthorpe Castle Motorcycle Club. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> that's that's perfect. Perfect. Yeah, so they've all got on board with the bug of motorcycling and adventures. And one of the things that I love about Grimsthorpe is the the ten k scramble. Mm. Whose idea was that? Yeah, it was actually when one of the one of the the team wanted to show us the, the, this the property, and we jumped in an, an old Woolies Jeep. And we're pootling around the site. And we're like, this is a really, really beautiful space. Obviously, with the festival itself, you want to keep it quite contained because you want everyone to be together and and we're hosting stages. And but it goes back to where you know when we were kids, we had to drive ride, ride bikes when you're young into beautiful places where there's no traffic. It, it's 
We're like, this could be a really great space. And it, it ticked the box of trying to get more and more people on motorcycles. You know, a lot of the people at the mile are there just, they ride their bike there. They want to have fun and they want to see all the bands and the music and the art shows and food and meet their friends. They don't really want to race. Many, I mean, the vast majority do, but, yeah. <laughs> but there's still a lot, you know, there's still a few thousand yeah. people that don't, but the scramble is a great opportunity where they can get covered in dust, go through some river crossings, get covered in mud at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. They've still ridden, they've still been part of it, but it's nothing competitive at all. It's just about, yeah, getting on a motorcycle and having fun. I am, um, one of my favorite things about that scramble track is you always, you need a time to actually slow down and enjoy it properly. Cause you mm. do want that, part of you wants to go really fast, but part of you also wants to slow down because the scenery is just, it is it's stunning. really beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah. There's a couple of times when I actually pulled off the track and I just let some of the bikes go past just to admire where you are. Yeah. Because you've got forests, you've got open fields and you've got this dusty track and it's like the dream. Mm. For me, that's the dream. Yeah, yeah. the quarry as well. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, so a really, cool. it's a really beautiful spot. That's where all the stone came out to build the, the castle. And No way. And and so the Mali Mark, that's, yeah, so that's nine years. And then I think it was year three of the Malay Mile that, um, you know, we have to remind ourselves why we get into into Malay motorcycling that, so every year we, Johnny and I, we try and do like one big trip either together or or, or solo. And, and that year my wife and I did a, a really wild trip from across Mongolia. So starting up in, wow. up in the top of, starting in Ulaanbaatar, then up into Lake Kovskul, up into the Arctic tundra, and then de- right, right down through the country into to the Gobi Desert. And we kept coming across these horse race. It's called a Nadam. It's like a celebration, like a yeah, like a small festival. If you want yeah. people where they have archery and eagle hunting and That's wrestling so cool. and loads of vodka and kumis, fermented horses' milk and you eat bulls' testicles. I mean, the, the, the fair is pretty, 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 um, pretty wild. Odd. But they had these beautiful horse races. Horse races where they'll just put a marker sixty kilometers in one direction. Or it could be six kilometers, but it, they're quite long distance and off they go and just run and ride and ride and ride. And some of the other riders are really young and we kept seeing these flags around and, and, and then we follow in the, in the, jump in the trucks with the, with the locals and just follow these horse races. And I just had this idea about imagine this for motorcycles. So when I came back, I'm like, Johnny, well, how about we try and create the longest motorcycle rally in Britain, like from Southern tip to Northern tip. And I imagine just like a few flags dotted through the country. And that became the first great Mali rally. Wow, so that was the inspiration. And, and then and then that was five we started in Scotland originally we started in Scotland down to the south, northern tip, southern tip, but it's it's now one thousand five hundred miles, six days, um, from southern tip to northern tip. And we try and we chart we change the route every year, but it's trying to find the most beautiful roads in all of the most beautiful and wildest landscapes in the country. And we don't plan to do it once. We just thought we'd we'd host it once. You know, get a nice photograph at the, at the all the riders together at the top, and but get, throwing a load of people into quite a difficult situation. And that year was first year was really tough weather, yeah. And we managed to like convince all of our mates it's a really good idea to come and join us with like Callum from Debolex Engineering, yeah. my, my dear friends Leroy, who's used to race, race in like Grand Prix motorcycles. Like they were joining us, our engineering team and medics, and and then my friend Tom, who works for Royal Enfield, he came on as a chef and. It was quite it's a traveling motorcycle circus, all in bell tents every night with quite with all these trucks following and all the support and and then the friendships I made by putting people into a quite a difficult situation, still a fun situation, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's quite tough doing long distance stuff. Like it just created bonds between all the teams that we built together and between my team and my friends. And we're like, that was really wild. So we did it a second year. And we're now I think it's our seventh year of the British Great Malay Rally. And wow. yeah, and just the friendships that are built within within all those teams has been really, yeah, very in- inspiring. And the reason why we've kept doing that, it was never planned to do it as an annual thing, but it's the yeah. thought of not doing it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and, did, and did that then give inspiration for the mountain rally? Exactly. Yeah. yeah so um, both Johnny and I have a lot of our family in the, in the Swiss and French Alps. And so there's always been trips as kids and we'd always wanted to do something there. And Johnny's dad would always tell stories of, because you've got, you know, you can be in Italy on one, you can start in, the, you can have a coffee in Italy and then you're suddenly in France and you're, you can be in several countries in one day. Just hop around, and, yeah. I, and I just love that idea. And so we came up with the concept of the great Mali mountain rally, which starts in Austria, finishes in Monaco. It's every 
alpine territory and every highest mountain pass in each alpine country six countries in six days but similar to the format but a completely different landscape and you're up at almost 3,000 meters at some of the passes really high up a lot of snow um and so we announced this grand plan and then COVID hit <laughs> and every country there locked down their yeah. borders of course and and so that's 2019 we announced it and then we had to wait until 2022 and so last year we hosted it for the first time and it was yeah it was it was wild it looked absolutely stunning it is beautiful yeah. really really beautiful those those mountains there's a very young mountain range yeah but it's very very beautiful and people turning and, up on all sorts of bikes yeah we had some of the oldest we've had we had some bikes in the 50s and 60s from the 50s and 60s um some of like brand new uh brand new customs uh with like two or three miles on the clock um quite a few scramblers and push everything in between you know we used to be quite strict about it that it has to be very custom or very inappropriate yeah but it means that because i love doing those types of ventures on slightly odd machines it creates a bond between you and the machine which and there is a little bit of anxiety that will yeah. you make it feels like more um, of a challenge yeah. very much so but when you've done it on something like that you know that machine better you've got a, a bond in it you've done something that you just you feel accomplished as well it, it is it's you're setting i think part of a you know life can often be about setting yourselves challenges that are h- tough and hard but not impossible yeah and i think to be able to com- yeah complete challenges um that that's a really good part of life and it's yeah, I, I almost think it's something quite satisfying about sort of nursing your your old bike on this journey and every evening, you know, getting down next to it after you've had your dinner and just getting the spanners out and doing them, taking the plugs out, cleaning mm. the plugs out and doing your routine maintenance so you know you can do the next stretch. Yeah. And it's so satisfying, I think, just to get your hands a bit greasy and like fully experience the trip in every aspect. I did the third edition of the Great Mali Rally from Southern t- Tip to Scotland on my late father's 1957 Triumph Thunderbird. Triumph. Yeah. yeah. So I res- helped sort of lightly rest- it was working but lightly restored that for that trip and i knew that and i know you know that i've got, got that very personal relationship with that machine i was doing that that big adventure and but the mountain rally it, it yeah i sort of the days but you know there's just a lot of there's a huge amount of planning we've got huge yeah, amounts of support and all of our medics and chefs and mechanics and engineers and and all this, the trucks that bring all the luggage for all the riders, so they can purely focus just on that motor, pure motorcycling experience. And there were days where it was complete whiteouts right up in the Swiss mountains, and we're going through one of this. There's some really big tunnels, like 1,500 meters. There are tunnels that are going through mountains, where the entire tunnel will be completely full of cloud. So you can no. see barely three or four meters in front of you, but they've got those orange lights in the tunnels. So as you're riding through the cloud, you're just getting this like woof, woof of, of light <laughs> and it's the most psychedelic experience. Oh, I bet. You have and no the, idea yeah. when it's going to end. And then you're sort of at that, that relative time where it feels like it's going on for hours. Some of these tunnels are like yeah. minutes long, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, some of them are 40 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, under, um, yeah, so under some of the really big mountains. But for that, and then... We, did, we didn't have snow. There was a one point where the weather forecast did say that they were expecting snow the next morning. And so we, we'd send out marshals first thing to ride the pass and, and report back. And luckily the whole, the whole route that we planned was, was open. That's gotta be but, the best job as a marshal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go and do that pass and yeah. report yeah. back. Head out six, I mean, it's, it's a dirty job, but someone's gotta yeah. do it. <laughs> um, That's so but cool. we did, there was one, there's always, and we're always pushing a little bit to see how far we can push the routes. And, and there was one moment on the mountain rally where it was an old um, Napoleonic pass that I'd seen on Google Maps, looked gorgeous, lovely switchbacks. And I'd read reviews from other adventure um, riders who'd, who'd done it and then I see photographs. But it was the only like 1% of the route that we hadn't done. We'd, we'd ridden everything else and I thought well, we should put it in, but I thought that morning we, we were, I said, well, let's just go and check. So we got up, it was about 6 a.m., three hours before all the riders departed and rode up to this part. And it's just it's on, on the, it's called the Maritime Alps. So it's the French, the mm. lower part of the French Alps. It was the last stage before going down to Monaco. And we got there and we had the Super 3. We were working with Morgan and built the 
we built one of those vehicles as our so support cool. vehicle for really our photographers. Cool, yeah. They are amazing. Yeah. Cool. And it's just, it's, it's like, it's the midpoint between a car and a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that orange screen is just. And, when, and you drive, anywhere you drive with that, people just smile and wave at you. Yeah. That, that, that vehicle creates so much happiness wherever you go. Um, and the first question you ask, as soon as you stop in that, they're like, what happens when it rains? And like, do you get wet? We got up to this, you know, two or three, myself and two other marshals. And it was a dirt tracks at the beginning. Then we're getting a little bit sketchy, but it's still fine. And then it started to get sketchier and sketchier. And then we realized that we we're kind of running out of time. We couldn't, didn't have enough time to get back to do the, the route that we had planned. Because the route on the route cards that our riders get was the route through the valley. Yeah. But I thought, I said to them the night before, I said, we're going to check out. I think it could be spectacular. And then when we're getting to the top, then it goes from track to more like hiking trail. And then, um, then I've got, then, as many often times happen in the Alps, you've got no four G at all, and radios aren't working there, so you've got no communication. So we can't. We realize we can't call back to the teams to say whether it's yes or no. And then we get to the top, and then there was just this two huge metal doors about twenty feet high, and a tunnel just cut straight through the mountain. So it was over a kilometer long. Just this tunnel that had been built by Napoleon's um, army. That, that if they were ever to get trapped in that side of the French Alps, there was, yeah, was a secret good. escape route for the whole towns in the area to get out through the, through the Alps that way. And they only open it for a, for a few months over the summer. And and in the tunnel, it was, it was minus four when we arrived at the top there. There was an inch and a half ice on all of these potholes. Some of the potholes were four or five meters long and a foot and a half deep. And so we're trying to crack that. And I was on the, 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 the Royal Enfield 650, the rally bike, the sport bikes that yeah. we built. It's amazing machines. They sound wonderful. And the reverberation in that tunnel as you go through was wild. But you're crashing through all of the ice and all, all the water hitting on the bikes. Just the amount of steam coming off the bikes. Is, um, Shane, I, and Callum and Sam were, were careering through complete darkness. And you just saw this pinprick of light at the other end. It was a pretty hairy moment. And it was we're like... Wow. Yeah, it was quite. And yeah, if we got stuck there, like, what did you, what do you do? You just kind of somehow drive yeah. bikes down the side of the mountain. Yeah. So did you keep going? Kept going, and then so the the route down the other side. It looked like a, a lunar landscape. There's just pinprick, um, on the side of the mountain coming all the way down, and we just had to keep soldiering on. And and then and the Super Three did an amazing job coming through behind us. No way. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, back in the day, those Morgans were first built for hill climbs. Really? Because they were lightweight, three wheels, um, and and did an amazing job. Occasionally, we had to all all stop and then lift it, the back of it up, you know, onto the right ruts. No way. But it was a very unexpected, but it's funny, because there's moments on adventures where you you want to talk about all the good stuff and i remember coming home and then talking talking about this crazy bit where we're riding through this death <laughs> death defying tunnel at minus four and my wife was like and that was fun was it yeah. <laughs> yeah. we love yes. we love setting those challenges and if you can get through it and we you know more yeah. times than not you do that's what and it brought our team together in a really nice way we came out the other side down into the valley and as soon as we got to the first checkpoint one of our marshals on the other side would already come through to set up that checkpoint. All of the riders coming through the normal way. Okay. And none of them, none of them said, no, we come through this death-defying, ridiculous <laughs> route. And then I heard this noise coming down the side of the hill. And one of the riders, even though they'd all be, we managed to get word back not to use that Napoleonic pass because it's just too crazy. One of the riders was like, no, no, I'm doing that. And on an old five, an old Enfield 500. So Patch, I suddenly heard like boop, 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 as he came down the side of the mountain that he'd done it as well. And he came down and I saw him like, dude, did you just do that pass? And he's like, hugs me. And he's like, I don't know what the hell just happened. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, wow. that was the, the mountain rally. And then and it finishes at, at sea level wow. in, in, in Monaco. So we got right, right at the furthest point out into the bay. And Monaco is a weird place. You know, it's, it's, it's um, beautiful in its own right. But um, yeah, we found this last spot where we put all the bikes come into the final checkpoint. It's like a high five, they strip off and then jump into the water and that's the end of the rally. Um, what wow. a perfect way to yeah. end that trip. Yeah, and then and that's become part of our channel. We realized we're quite good at hosting wild experiences and trying to push boundaries of what, where we can invite riders to. And, and so there are, yeah, we're looking into the Great Mali Arctic Rally and the Great Mali oh, Desert yeah. Rally. So there are other, other adventures that we're slowly re- researching at the moment. Um, 
while still it, still making luggage at the same but time. Still, yeah, I mean, still at the heart of what we do is, is what we make. That's that's the heart heart of Malay and our and our workshop. But then, um, yeah, but it's the places it takes us. And from the mile, it's almost like the mile is sort of the introduction to like what we think motorcycling culture could be of bringing this massive family and a massive celebration of all the facets of the motorcycle culture. And then if you want to go a little bit further, let's say let's head down to the beach and get a bit <laughs> dusty and sandy. And, and, that, and that beach race, you know, the last two years, gorgeous sunshine. Oh, it was brilliant. Last, last year. year, we were somewhere. Oh, we it, it was like yeah. California. It was lovely. The first year, 87 mile an hour winds coming down the beach, 10 foot waves crashing over the seawall. We had to go to a sports shop and buy a load of ski goggles just so you can look left down the beach because the sandstorm coming down the beach, you couldn't look that way without because you were just stinging the eyes, all the sand. The first year was an absolute baptism of fire, completely brutal. Um, but yeah, it was fun did in you, a really perverse way. <laughs> did uh, you, after the first year, did you consider calling it off because the wet conditions were so bad? We, the first year, we, it had to be in the shoulder season because obviously that beach, um, it's a public beach. So in the summertime, it's really busy. So you can't, you won't, we wouldn't, wouldn't ever consider it in the, in the true summer. So it needs to be so September, late September or early May when it's not the summertime. And, and also we, we, we work with some marine biologists that help us create like a really in-depth environmental plan for how we approach that the beach race and how we bring bikes onto it safely and environmentally friendly in you know, an environmentally conscious way um and it needs to be when the beach is not full of people so beginning of may is seems to be perfect the last two years is gorgeous and it's also that we can't dictate what weekend it is it's all about the tides oh of course so we can't like, i'd love to be able to say it's always on that weekend yeah. and, and one weekend it managed to tie up with the distinguished gentleman's ride and we actually did the dgr yeah around the town and then back along the beach. And so you had like 50 riders all all in suits coming down the middle of the beach and flying V formation it was gorgeous. I'd love to be able to connect it with the DGR every year, but the tides, you know, what I love about that race is the whole racetrack's underwater at 6 a.m. and underwater at 6 p.m. again. It's amazing. It's like it's reset. So we have to be yeah. very lightweight. We have to bring everything on very, very quickly, host this wild race. And then all that's left is a few footprints at the end of it. And everyone's, you know, back off the beach onto the, onto the boardwalk. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this year it's pretty. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a big crowd. Yeah. Um, no, we can't wait. We it's actually, so yeah. soon as well. It's it? so soon. It's just around the corner. It is. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, planning my bike month. prep um, for it. Cool. So. I started to see a few things on, on Instagram. People tagging in strange things that they just bought and are starting to build. <laughs> and yeah. And and at the mile this year, we're going to host the um, sort of the, the, the Malay Mile Auction House, something on those lines, because so many people have been building wild machines for the mile. That's part of the fun of it. Once you've built it and raced it, we're realizing that riders quite often want to sell the bike afterwards and get their next project. Yeah. So we think that we love a way of people will be able to, yes, swap and sell bikes between the community. And the only way you can put the bike into that auction is if it actually has raced at the mile. It can't be anybody. It has to be a, you know, only a mile bike. We love it. The bikes stay within the community yeah. and and go from one rider or racer to another over the years. And, it's like miles and from older, yeah, and putting strangely inappropriate machines into young hands, I think, is a very very good thing to do. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Because every year you go back and you'd be like, I recognise that bike. I recognise that. You know, Indeed, and the yeah. characters as well. The, yeah. you know, the guy with the sombrero or the yeah, the really um, lovely, really lovely crowd that just get yeah. They it's, they they make the festival. I mean, we we we're very lucky to play host to it, but it's. Yeah, it, it is the community that, that, that it's, it's for them and that, that's what makes it. It's so lovely. I was out in just around the corner from here the other day, taking some photos of my bike and there was this old boy standing down the road, opening up a garage with a motorcycle front wheel with a dirt bike tire. And I thought, I looked at him, I thought, I bet he's a Malay. I, there's got to be some Malay. <laughs> anyway, he then comes out five minutes later and he shakes his hand and he goes, I'm Flagman. And I, I said, what do you mean you're flag man? He said, oh, I make trousers and garments out of the flags. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, and, he's amazing. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, oh, here's photos of my triumph. Da, da, da. And then we're talking for 40 minutes. And it's just, it's amazing how you can be in London. Then you end up having that kind of conversation. That's it's great. It's that community. Yeah. Yeah, he turned up one year with a, a, a shirt made out of a Malay flag. And the next year he turned up with a pair of trousers made out of the flag. <laughs> he's called, I'm sure he'll have a cape next year. Yeah, he said he's working on there it. There are some yeah, wonderful characters yeah. That, <laughs> that, that, that come together. And just once a year from all over all over the place. It's funny, we didn't we set out to make something for the motorcycle culture. And it's been, yeah, we've made a huge amount of friends. We're very lucky to work with some wonderful people. And work with, and work with very, very interesting brands that also want to help celebrate and, and curate and get involved in the motorcycle space and and of course and it's all come from motorcycles we've we've met 
that you want to work with, like Breitling, one of our our timing partner, is because George Kern's a massive motorcycle nut. And they met him, and he put, he just was building a custom Triumph. And he was sending pictures on WhatsApp of this custom Triumph he's building. And then they became our timing partner. And um, the same with Morgan. They, they called us up one day and said, like, we're building something that has the sort of the, the needs of a motorcycle, as in the, it needs luggage to go on the exterior. That's how that partnership created that we started making luggage for the for the Morgan Super 3. Um, because ultimately, it's a pannier, like on the side of a motorcycle. Yeah. Most vehicles, yeah, they have a boot or somewhere you store everything. Um, and it's, yeah, so all those, those, those amazing opportunities have come through the, that humbled, strange machine that's, that is a motorcycle. Wow. And it's, you know, in other cultures, you know, you go into like Vietnam or somewhere, there's just thousands and thousands of scooters. They're very much a tool. They're, they are as exciting yeah. as a microwave or a hairdryer that they just, it's just something that just gets you made to be. And no one even thinks about the sort of the, the, the cultural side of it. But we've, it's strange that we've had 70 years or more of, maybe, or I guess more of 100 years of, of culture of from films and and um popular culture that have created a very interesting idea of what the motorcycle is whether it goes from like you know the hell's angels through to like burt monroe and racing or it's um yeah it's true and it's yeah it's created quite a mythology it is, yeah. around that motorcycle and what i love about the motorcycle is on the bike you can't even see it yeah, like yeah. all you see is like a bit of headlight and a bit of but ultimately you're riding through a landscape hovering six inches above the air riding through the landscape and you can't see what it is and quite often you can't hear it either yeah and i love yeah i love it it puts you in a landscape unlike any other machine um and it's just yeah, fun <laughs> it's always yeah, yeah. It is. that's it that's what um, we'll do it for so is there anything for this mile mile this year that's going to be different or new from last year apart from the antique set Loads. Yeah. Is, is, there, is there anything you can say? I mean, <laughs> um, we're working on the Super Scramble. Okay. So a much, like, like a much larger route, a curated route with some checkpoints through the grounds because we've only ever taken the, the Scramble that we've hosted now is only about 10% of the property. There's a huge amount more. Um, so there's there's talk of a Super Scramble. There's talk of the, the, the Malay Auction House to be able to get bikes moving within the community. Um, it's, we're really excited. Next week, we'll be announcing. Well, next this later this month, we'll be announcing a lot of the musicians and the artists and the DJs. Um, the Lost Club, where we're bringing in famous speakers and riders and explorers to be talking about when they go out and get lost in the world. Love it. Um, and yeah, there's a few new things on the riding side. There's obviously the art show. Will be the art of machine will be completely new. I mean, I've I can't talk about it. You will see some of the machines that we've been sent this year. Oh, really Mind wild right. and but i mean they really push almost the motorcycle i mean some of the, i can talk about some of them like the belly tankers that were coming yeah. in built out of old oh, bomber, world um, war ii bombs and and um yeah the, the, the like auxiliary fuel tanks or something yeah like the drop tanks i think they're yeah. called wow. and like it's kind of it's got a motorcycle engine <laughs> there's a lot of twisting our arms to class it as a very inappropriate motorcycle we've seen things that may have been designed for the water that are now coming on that someone's turned into you know we've seen these people take old bmx's and put chainsaw engines in um there's some really spectacular things <laughs> that are being built and really imaginative machines um and then there's also People who've like you know bought something that's two weeks old and it's their first foray into motorcycling or something they've been thinking about for ten years and um, everything in between is really exciting. One of the things that was hilarious about the mile last year was where we were camping. There was a small little cluster of trees and this sort of mini track formed and it was right next to where we were camping <laughs> and it was like twenty four seven. It was being ridden just like a loop. I know that that's probably not what you wanted no, I, from Malay, but it was, was so Malay in, in its essence. Yeah, no, it's it's fun. <laughs> I was out, Johnny and I were out with a rake on a Sunday evening, just raking that out, <laughs> get the berms out. Um, but there's yeah, there's quite a few things. You'll, you'll see the announcements over the next over the next three months for the mile. Yeah. Um, and but yeah, the, the beach race is first, and that's quite nice because it also brings all of our marshals together for the first time of the year, and it's a smaller event. You know, so it's, it must build up. Yeah, it's like a quarter of the size. Like there's only 250 bikes racing. You know, the mile will be over a thousand this year. Wow. Um, and before we finish, if there's someone listening and they've never been to a Malay event before and they're not sure whether they should dip their toes in, what, what would you say to them? Um, it's going to, it'll be different. Yeah. It'll be wild. 
and yeah, come with it. Come with your eyes open, and just at some point you'll be on a motorcycle. And yeah, yeah and I, I apologize. It could get very expensive when you start buying bikes afterwards. But it, but <laughs> Once you get the bike, it can be quite yeah, sort of contagious. Um, Brilliant. But but the great thing about the beach race also, you know, it's a big public beach, so there was, I think. You can even, you know, there's tickets for all of the, the the central area where the village is and the art show and and all the actual racing and we get to meet the riders. But you can still walk on the boardwalk and see the racing from there. So it's quite. I love I love it that we also get to show our strange, what we think motorcycling could be mm, yeah. to the public as well. Um, you see a lot of smiles. You see a lot of kids just gripped to the railing on the board, which is their mouths open, just like, yeah. what is that? Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be very, yeah, really well, we'll quite be wild. We'll be having our fingers crossed for blue skies. Oh, it's going to be gorgeous. Yeah. Always is. Yeah. Well, apart from the first year. <laughs> yeah. um, well, Robert, thank you so much for coming on. No, thank my you. pleasure. Really cool to hear about Mali. Yeah. And um, we'll see you on the beach. Yeah, we'll I look forward to it. Guys, thank you. Real pleasure to chat. Cheers. Thanks.